Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lenny. And this week, I'd like you all to gird your loins in case Satan is near. Anyways, we're watching. Where we watching? We're talking about Rosemary's Baby from mm-hmm. 1968, yeah. uh, directed by one <clears throat> Roman Polanski. C. Previous episode. Yes, we've discussed all we need to ever <laughs> discuss or research about his private life. And starring Mia Farrow, who is also uh, entwined with another real problematic performer or director, and that would be Woody Allen. We're not going to talk about him at all He didn't all make the, the, uh, <laughs> the suspense li- or the thriller the list. Thriller list. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Woody Allen for so many reasons. But before we talk about Rosemary's Baby, a movie where the baby only happens right at the end and you never get to see the never said see baby, baby. No. how is your week? My week was really, really, um, it's lost to me. I know that I had a good time, but I spent most of the weekend assembling a bed. Helping me. Yes. I got a new room. I mean, same room. I laid a carpet. We put a bed together. I built a hamper shelf mm-hmm. system. Right. Now I just got to unpack all the things I packed up. you now up. have the northern lights on your, the I ceiling do. of it's your so bedroom. Beautiful. Yep. It's yeah. good. I uh, got... Fed up with my living situation, and so I bought furniture so that I had to change my living situation. Good for you. I'm Did very it. Proud of you. Now I'm still gonna just unpack the four and a half boxes or whatever. I would ask you stuff. how your weekend went, but it went like that. I'm so tired. We'll keep doing. I yeah, I've just been cleaning and organizing mm-hmm. and cleaning and organizing and cleaning and organizing, which hopefully means that once I'm totally done. It's a maintenance thing rather than a right. need to do a deep clean thing. I just kept getting things for three years during the pandemic and not having anywhere to put those things. Well, we moved here and you uh, you put it very well that we packed angry. Yeah, packed oh. angry. There were bags in my room that I'd never even looked at. I just chucked them in a corner and never looked right. at them. And, and I had the same issue with going through the stuff in my closet thinking to myself, I don't really need a lot of this. But yeah. it was what was at hand, and I regret some of the things I had left behind. Same. Uh, because I would like to have some of those things back. But yep. it's it's all lost now, and I just have to move forward. That's Forward my, that's and get I'm new neat now. things. Yes. Or not. I asked to not be given things for Christmas this year, because it turns out I have too, too many things. <laughs> so I need to pare down my things. It's very spiritual of you. It's also just, I have one room. If I had a whole house, maybe I'd want more things, but I don't have a whole right. house. All right, let's talk about this movie. Speaking of spiritual. That, that takes place when uh, when a couple moves into a massive New York apartment, and uh, they have no income, it appears, so it's pretty wild. Uh, so this movie, what is your history with? Uh, Rosemary's I had Baby. Not, growing up the way that I did, I yeah, didn't seems have like. access to a lot of horror movies. Certainly not. Right. And with we didn't go the to movie satanic theaters. undertones. Uh, I don't even know if you could call them undertones. No, no, it's your Tones, satanic tones. <laughs> Satan's an actual character in this film, and he's seen more than the baby is. A rapist. <laughs> so, yes, yes. We, we don't see the baby, we see him. So, yep. there we are. Or a projection of him. Because it's, we see her, him in her dream. Right. So what is actually happening is... That's... 
contestable? Yes. So I started uh, watching, or I watched this film. This was when I was taking a screenplay writing class. Yeah, that seems right. And somebody was commenting, our, our teacher was commenting on um, how brilliant the screenplay for Chinatown was. It's the greatest screenplay ever written. It's oh, right, yeah. And then he went on to say uh, that there's a kind of a craftsmanship to the way that Roland Polanski assembled a film. And this was, uh, I think this is the middle part of his um, Apartment Trilogy. Okay. What were the... Which was Repulsion. With oh, right. I've seen that one. And then there's Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. And there's The Tenant, starring Roman Polanski. I have not seen that one. Which is a very creepy, weird... Also, it's... Uh, he stars in it? Yeah. He was an actor. Well, I know he put himself in right. Chinatown, but... People put themselves in things all the time. William Castle makes a weird appearance right. in this one. Well, yeah, William <laughs> Castle too, who also st- a who lot was of, not an actor. Well, he was early oh, on. He? he was, um, and that, well, I mean, he's a performer mm-hmm. oh, for yes. sure. He's created a character that we'll, we'll we'll all remember so well, so much so that William that John Goodman was able to actually imitate William Castle's right. character. That was when when you said that's William Castle and. Uh, I was I was like is like is the dude in matinee is right. that him and yes the answer to that question um, is yes but yeah I saw the film after that recommendation I was just kind of stunned because it was so complex yeah and he, coming from I mean we saw a horror film this weekend Five Nights at Freddy's yeah and it didn't quite hold together and it wasn't quite consistent and it wasn't my favorite thing that I've seen. No, recently by but, a long shot. But comparing the two, it's like this is what we've become accustomed to now in terms of this kind of film, and this is when a person who I would argue that they are not the same kind of film well, either. They were either. at one point when it was first released. Apparently, there were critics who were going like, "Well, this is really good for a horror film," and it was still with that kind. I of... I mean, Silence of the Lambs gets mm-hmm. the same thing. It was remarkable to see this amount of care put into this movie. Yeah. But also, like, I would argue that nobody involved in the making of Rosemary's Baby, if it came out today, mm-hmm. would argue that it was going for the same audience that the people who oh, no. made Fre- Five Nights at Freddy's At the time, for. they did think it was. And so that's kind of, especially with William Castle's name attached. But um, anyhow, so what's your history with the movie? I'm curious. I think you made me see it, like, a decade ago, maybe? Mm. I don't know. Time is a flat circle. I And I don't know what time even is anymore. Sometime in the last 20 years. You made me watch the thing. <laughs> you got um, all philosophical and deep for a second. No, there. I literally just don't know how much time has passed between what and what. I think that, um, you know, a few years ago was 1998. So everything since 1998 is a compressed disc of... Time is a flat circle. Car is a wheel. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of all thing. the same. Right. So I had seen it before. I don't think that I, I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or I didn't really want to be watching it or whatever. I feel like I didn't like it as much the first time. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. Mm. <laughs> that was, um, but watching it with sort of more of an eye, it's extraordinarily nuanced. Like, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. Which is very interesting, and I thought that Mia Farrow's performance was was right. generally good. I don't particularly like her, and the character, but the character is really interesting. I 
I tried to watch a documentary with her in it about her ex mm-hmm. and that whole situation. Uh, and she didn't seem altogether, altogether. Not like she was entering dementia, but like she just was floating so softly on the sort of um sort of surface of reality like she she'd been through so much that she was just so sort of checked out and and seemed very um disconnected but like in a happy way mm. like when you just see somebody who's just like oh everything's fine everything was good you know it's in the past. Like, it was very mellow mm. and very just not engaged. And, I mean, she's had some things happen to her, so maybe that was why. And I don't know if that's what she was like here. Um, you, when we started the movie, you had mentioned that people had said that her character was, what, too passive? Is right. That, what that was one complaint. Which, uh, I don't understand that complaint at all. She's soft-spoken, but... I would not argue, or I would not say in any way that she was passive. Um, that feels a little bit vic- victim blaming, frankly. Right. So uh, <laughs> we should probably just give like the sparest outline of the film because there's so much that comes with it. Yeah. So Rosemary and her husband Guy, a name that I don't even understand, who is played by John Cassavetes, move into a, like I said, the fanciest, biggest apartment in New York that I've ever seen. She's a housewife. He is an aspiring actor. He's done a lot of commercials and TV pieces, plays. No one loves an albatross and lots of plays and things. Lots of plays and things, she says all the time. And uh, they are planning to have children. It, it's back and forth for a guy. He's not sure he wants to do that. They meet different people in their apartment building who ingratiate themselves in various ways into their lives he agrees to have a child there is an evening where sex is, happens we'll talk about it when we get there and then she does get pregnant she goes through a very weird pregnancy that's most of the movie that's like like 90 minutes of the movie or so it's like a two hour and ten minute movie 90 minutes of the pre- if it is the pregnancy um she goes into labor they take the she they tell her that her baby is dead uh as she is convalescing. She hears a baby, she sneaks over to the neighbor's house and finds that the baby is not dead, but the baby's dad is Satan, and then she is asked to care for the baby as its mother, and the ending is left ambiguous as to whether that happens or not. And the story comes from a book by Ira Levin, who I believe we've talked about in this podcast. Uh, Ira Levin was a... Stephen King says that um, in terms of horror and thriller writers, he is like... It's reading one of his plots is like a master clockmaker's. Yeah. And that what Stephen King says, well, in comparison, what I make is the the clock you get at the drugstore, the electric clock. Right, yeah. Because his... His uh, the way that these characters intersect yeah. feels very natural, but it's very densely plotted. Yeah, and he did things like uh, the Stepford Wives and the Boys from yeah. Brazil. It's, it's I've not. I don't know the Boys from Brazil. I don't know what it is. I I've heard of it. We should see it at some point. It's very like okay. kind of startling. So this movie is 
you say very heavily plotted. I would argue there's very little plot. There's a lot of character mm. is what's happening. And so we start, of course, with Rosemary and Guy. Uh, Rosemary makes things. She is like Martha Stewart. She is painting things and contact papering things and designing things. And she like she is fixing up this apartment that they start they rent like right at the, at the very beginning that's what we see them the uh, prior tenant has died not in the not in the apartment but in the hospital and so they move in guy is uh looking for work he's a so the impression that we had was that rosemary from the defensive kind of uh Litany that she repeats every time mm-hmm. that is that the appropriate word, Litany? Sure. Uh, that she repeats every time someone asks Guy, have I seen you in something? Yeah. Uh, she'll just repeat. And by the way, Nobody Loves an Albatross is an actual play. Right. He was um, in this play, Nobody Loves an Albatross. He's been in commercials. Right. Which we do, I think, see a, a snippet of. Um, and, so, you know, a couple of TV spots or whatever, but nothing, you right. know, nothing. So really the really impression that I got was that given that they're living in this beautiful space, in this wonderful old building, that she comes from money and he's the struggling actor that she's Maybe we with. don't know We're never told anything any about her history or yeah. his. We don't know anything about mm-hmm. how they met. We don't know anything about how long they've been together. We don't know anything about how they grew up in any way, if they're local to New York or not. Like, we don't know anything. We know that she's Catholic. Yes. And that she had all sorts of issues growing up Catholic because she has these very vivid dreams. That is she still Catholic or is she... She says to one, at one point when she's having dinner with the cast of Ets, mm. I was brought up Catholic. Right. Right. But she has... A, but we never see her go to church. At, so. Yeah. At several times in the film, she has these very vivid dreams. One of them is about yeah. nuns. Another one, she's at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Yeah. And then when she is being raped by Satan, she sees a vision of the Pope. This is what got the yeah. film condemned. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> that checks um, out. By the Catholic Church. And she kisses his ring while she's being raped by the devil. I feel but, like that is... Uh strong commentary by I-11 and Roman Polanski, right. two Jewish men. That's... Right. that's <laughs> yeah, I don't even... <laughs> I don't even well, ever think else to say about that's, that. That's very strange about this film. I, I watched uh, some reviews of the film that accuse it of being misogynist, then saying of it being uh, misanthropic. Uh, other accusers, or, or other people reviewing the film are saying that it's very anti-patriarchy and very feminist. Misanthropic or misandra? Mis- I don't know the ick. The, against men. Well, this is against everybody. Okay, against everybody. Is but yes, and then there's the, 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 uh, the, which I think has the most weight that it's very much an anti-patriarchy, anti-patriarchal traditions film. Yeah, it feels... <laughs> In 1968, it feels fem- yeah like the mm-hmm. the feminist that feminism that was happening then, right. uh, as women are finally starting to be able to get bank accounts. Um, we see a lot of like the stuff with the doctors, mm-hmm. even if they're not in a satanic cult. Doctors right. then were terrible to women, especially yes. pregnant women. And there's a, a constant emphasis in the film uh, when she becomes pregnant after she's been drugged. Uh, 
there are scenes with doctors they're constantly grabbing her and leading her around. Even yeah. her husband does this, grabs her by the arm, pulls yeah. her away. And so she's physically being manhandled yeah. in a lot of the film. And, and she's so, not a large woman. No, she's not. And apparently, from what I understand, uh, having watched a couple of making of documentaries from the time, that's Mia Farrow. She's just sort of very kind of... Um, wayfish and elfin? Wayfish, yes. And she <laughs> was not Polanski's first choice. Interesting. So she is. She's always been the way that right. I saw her in she that documentary. Wanted to, he wanted someone. He thought Tuesday Weld, or even Sharon Tate. Um, but he's he's just like yeah, Sharon Tate, like you know, sexy and whatever. Because uh, he obviously she was... wanted he wanted somebody. Well, the danger of going that way mm-hmm. is having the audience think right. Well, that's what she gets. Because this is still a point of view that was very prevalent, that rape is the woman's right. fault. And Robert Evans, the producer, who um, who I believe also, he was a great film producer, he picked great projects. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the one who said, uh, let's try Mia Farrow. And he, he thought that that strange combination of almost deliberate childishness that she has at right. times, and this sort of sense of whimsy, and at the same time, as you pointed out later as the film goes on, she becomes really independent. She's always got her wits about her. Mm-hmm. Like, she's very observant. Right. Uh, and she, like I said, soft-spoken, mm-hmm. but not a doormat. Right. And any sort of, you know, performative childishness isn't a weapon. Because no. that can be used as a weapon. Or it could be like what I do, which is just, I don't need She's to also, act like a straight-up grown-up when I'm, was, you know, again, chilling in my house. <laughs> this wayfish person who was also, I think, 21 when they started shooting. Yeah, she's very, very young. Very young. young. So, and Cassavetes was not. No. He was in his mid to late 30s, maybe? Right. Cassavetes was already directing. He was doing, you know, The Death of a uh, Killing I of mean, Chinese Orson Book. I mean, Orson Welles was directing as a right. child. So that's but the... he was making inroads in independent film Got at this you. time. Okay. And that led to a lot of issues with Polanski. Like he wanted to be like, this is my movie. Well, yeah, that's tricky. In the very beginning, they got along really well. Because I mean, we should go back to the, the just to the start, because like I said, that's the outline of the film. That's as much as we can give. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. Really. Well, I thought we were talking about the the people in it. Right. So we talked about Mia Farrow. Let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, John, John Cassavetes. Right. He, he's a director. He We saw him last in The Dirty Dozen. Yeah. Um, he, does, uh, he does Sinister really well, which makes it kind of... <laughs> like know, a giveaway. He's got such puffy hair. <laughs> um, but he uh, he was cast originally. The, the first choice was Robert Redford. Wild, wild. Who would have been a great Which, I choice. Mean, but here's here's uh-huh. what what would have worked for him. Mm-hmm. The whole time I'm watching the two of them, I'm like, you don't fucking deserve her. Right. Like you don't. What is she? So you're, you're watching. You're talking doing? about Cassavetes. Yes, Cassavetes. Yeah. Like during this movie, I was mm-hmm. like, fuck this guy. Like from from before he right, signs exactly. up to sell his wife's body to the devil for <laughs> success, which is what he does. Right. Um, I was like, this dude is a fucking loser. <laughs> like, why? Why are you? Mm-mm, I don't understand it. Well, see, I think what would have worked was that Redford, and he was really interested in playing the part, and that, and there's different stories about why. He didn't do it. One of them is that his agent didn't want him to play another kind of sinister character. Right. 
And another one is that he um, is that Paramount. He had conflicts with them as a studio at like, the time. Like he had conflicts, or he wasn't allowed to work with them. He they didn't want him working with it. They wanted to cast somebody else for the part, which Wild. was a, a missed opportunity because and that Wild. was that was a, that would have been such a different vibe. Right. But the idea is that Robert Redford, being himself, was just the right kind of, as Polanski said, the right kind of beautiful, vain man. Yeah. Who thinks the world is about him. You know who would play it now? Who? Patrick, um, oh, is that not Patrick Wilson? Yes. Yeah. Patrick Wilson. Just like in Little Children, right? Where he's, and even Insidious, where he is, yeah, putting cream on his face before he goes to bed and you know, staying at work while his wife is being tortured at home because he knows that if he goes there, he also has to be tortured. So no, thank you. I'll just stay here. He he really, I think that Cassavetes, they came into a conflict once the film started. Yeah. Because at first, like a lot of people, Polanski had just come over from Europe. So this is his first American film. Oh, okay. And they'd seen Knife in the Water and they'd seen uh, Cul-de-Sac and Repulsion. So he was getting a big name for himself. And so he wanted to work with him. But then Polanski, when he was trying to guide, um, there was two things apparently. He's trying to guide Mira Farrow through a performance and she's very young and she doesn't quite know what he's aiming at. So he would, because he'd been an actor, Polanski would act the scenes out going, what do you think about this? And that would drive Cassavetes crazy because Cassavetes was like... He's like, why are you hand-holding this dumb bitch? Cool. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I could definitely see... At least the character. And frankly, I don't know that he's... And the second thing was that on top of that, uh, Cassavetes and his films, if you ever watch them, is very much people are... He gets actors like Peter Falk and Gina Rollins, you know, his wife, and Mm -hmm. other people together. Gina Rollins is his wife? I like her. they all improvise large parts of their dialogue and gestures and things like that. That's not Polanski's jam. Also, if you're doing an Ira Levin thing, is he taking a lot? I don't know. I don't think he wrote the screenplay, but do they take a lot of dialogue and things from his work? Um, Stephen King and Dennis Macabre, he says that he wonders if, because Polanski had, this is his first film in America, whether he really thought that he had to adapt the book that well. He says this is 98% 98% Ira Levin's book. Wow. It's the Which most also speaks well right. to Ira Levin's book, right? Right, exactly. I think it's funny that you say that Stephen King keeps talking about this because, mm-hmm. so upon moving in, the first person that Rosemary talks to is a young woman who named Terry down in the laundry. Mm-hmm. And the first, and they, they chat a little bit. And we see that she, that Terry is wearing this necklace with the charm on it that is a round ball mm-hmm. it looks like a really small tea strainer like fancy tea strainer right. apparently there is something inside of it but it's like the size of a marble I'm a little bit bigger and when i saw it first i was like that's like the bauble in needful things mm-hmm. that has the spider inside of it like that's the first i was like that looks like <laughs> the thing in needful things and i'm like oh well if Stephen King's watched this movie a thousand times, it's the thing yeah. for needful things. Like, that's what it is. He, he, um, I, there's an interesting, I put it up on my Facebook page, mm-hmm. an interview that was done with Stephen King, George Romero, Ira Levin, and I think, was it Peter Straub? They're all being interviewed mm. at the same time about horror. 
And King is gushing over talking to Ira Levin. Mm-hmm. And he comments on like, the, the, mo- the moment that I felt like the elevator go out from under my feet is in Rosemary's Baby when she goes, you're rocking the baby too hard. Yeah. Right. It's like, holy shit, she's taking that. She, she's going to take that road. What is she going to do? Yeah. And he said that was like a, that was a moment for him to understand that you can take somebody who you've been rooting for the entire time and then they make a decision that you're going, wait, what the this hell This might be right. unredeemable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Terry uh, just has the one scene, mm-hmm. and then the next time we see her, she's <laughs> she's dead on the pavement. <laughs> what I like about that scene is that she's played by Victoria Vetri, mm-hmm. who had done a bunch of things, including a Hammer film when dinosaurs ruled the earth, mm-hmm. the sequel to One Million BC, and she runs around in a little bikini, um, running from dinosaurs. Uh, but anyhow, so she'd done a bunch of stuff, and then she changed her name to Angela Dorian, which is what she's credited with in this film. Uh-huh. And then when Rosemary meets her in the basement, she goes, you look just like Victoria Vetri. <laughs> oh, that is what she said. Okay. Because right. you laughed at that, and I was like, I don't get it, because I didn't know that. Right. And, so and, she's, she, and she said something like, yeah, I get that a lot, or something right. like, but I don't see it, or when something. When Roman Plansky cast her yeah. originally... He cast her because he thought she looks like Victoria Vetri, and he couldn't find her anywhere because she changed That's her name. Wild. That's a real uh, vertigo situation. Right. <laughs> um, that's funny. So yeah, so she ends up dead mm-hmm. on the ground, and this is when we are introduced uh, very briefly to the cast of Vets, who come down the street to f- also find her. They've been out for the evening, and uh, they're informed that she is there. It looks like she jumped. He, they say, no, she wouldn't have done that, but then they just go upstairs because they had been, Terry says, they'd mm-hmm. basically taken her in and adopted her. Right. Because she was on the streets. She was an addict. She was. She says she was probably going to die without their help. Right. And so Rosemary's like, I don't think she, she didn't, like, I just talked to her, and I, she did not seem suicidal at all. But the police are like, there's a note <laughs> like, that said like, something He's like... closed, right? I'm not going to deal with it That said something like, I can't take it anymore, or whatever. Uh-huh. Like, it was real generic. And uh, I think Mr. Cassavet says, oh, yeah, she, she, I could see that she could have done that. And then his, but his wife is like, nah, I don't think so. But that's it. We, they don't seem overcome with emotion. No, because they were treating her according to her, according to... Um, Terry? Terry. They were treating her like uh, a daughter, right? Yeah. And, the, and, and the, then they're just so like, oh, like, oh well, I guess we got to clean out her room or whatever. Like, yeah, it's very weird. And, uh, and that's when they, specifically the wife, Mrs. Casvet, starts coming around mm-hmm. Rosemary, sort of sniffing around Rosemary, played by Ruth Gordon, uh-huh. winner of the Academy Award for this part. Right. Bananas costuming. I don't know who put those clothes <laughs> on her. She's constantly wearing a hat with a bunch of fucking feathers on it. Like, right. she's, her makeup is always like, like a quarter inch to the left. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, she's just, she's so much. Right. Uh, she's also, like, the first, I think maybe the first time she comes to visit Rosemary, she brings a friend to introduce her, and then both of them come in, sit down on the couch, 
pull out their needlework and their knitting and just start sitting and talking like Rosemary's not even right. there in her house. I was just like, and maybe the fact that she didn't, she wasn't like, bitches, get out, makes her like, you know, a weak character. But no, what would you do? Right. That's kind <laughs> it's of. It's so startling. It's such startling behavior that you're just like, I don't even know how to respond to this because. Why would I need to respond to this? Right. Because why would anybody do this? This is wild. I, I think Ruth Gordon plays such a uh, great role in this film. Mm-hmm. She really... Can, can you think back at all the impressions that you get from this movie and how striking stuff is. And she's just like the loudest and most obnoxious woman. She is. And she's tiny. Yes. She's so small. And she's of an age where you're like, well, she's not, she's harmless. Mm-hmm. I mean, she clearly is not. But you have to just presume that she's harmless. Right. Uh, and so she forces Rosemary and her husband over to their house. Like, they can't... They, they're neighbors. They're going right. to go over to this, the, these people's house for one meal. And they do. And it's weird. <laughs> and apparently the food is very bad. And... When they get back home, they're both like, never again. Mm-hmm. Or like she, I think, says never again. They're making fun of the cake. She's like, how did you eat two pieces? And he's like, it seemed polite. Or whatever. Right. But then he's, she's like, I, I'm never, I'm never, uh-uh, we're never doing that again. And he's like, oh, I'm going over to have dinner or like have drinks with him tomorrow night. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and at the same time as they're talking, they took all their pictures down. Like, there were blank spots on the wall. Right, and this goes to what you're saying clearly, about her being right. observant. And he's like, oh, I didn't notice. Right. And I don't know if, the, if he did notice or if he's trying to gaslight her because... Yeah, I don't... The, the, <laughs> the thing is weird, and this is something I, I've also noticed, too, when I was watching the film this time that was reinforced by some materials I read about it, is that um, we see the story almost exclusively from Rosemary's point yeah. of view. Which makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. sort of the the horror, the scare in this film is the fact that something is going on, but you don't quite know what it is. Right. And the things that you think it might be are insane, yeah. but also true. <laughs> like, like, it is crazy to believe that there is a coven of witches that has a, that, that is, you know... Mm-hmm done something to you or wants to do something to you uh, but also there's a coven of witches that has done something to her <laughs> and wants to do something to her like I can see why it would be difficult to live in that sort of space and you want to believe that your husband isn't a monster but oops well there's <laughs> clues to his being a monster because she does she's given a cake or a dessert that yeah. she doesn't like the taste of he gets her to eat it, but she spits it out mostly. She's only taken four spoons of yeah. it. And that leads to this other dream. And in the dream, she is raped by Satan Yeah. while they all stand around chanting. And this is this night. This, mm-hmm. The thing about this particular night is they're supposed to be having a date night right. because they're going to try and get pregnant. Like the, yeah. it's, a, it's a goal-oriented evening. They plan to sleep together at the end of the evening. And yeah, she he br- she brings over two little like mooses, mm-hmm. meese, and 
And, you know, he's, you know, eating it up. And she's like, there's an undertaste. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's an undertaste. And gives her sh- shit until right. she he's feels like, guilted into. Until she eats it. Until uh, she sh- yeah, looks like she's eating it. And then he goes to get something or mm-hmm. she asks him for something. And she dumps almost the entire thing into her lap, which is into her napkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And then, yeah, she gets woozy, passes out. And you hear these people talking Mm -hmm. around her, and you can't tell if it's in the dream, because we're seeing her dream sequence. Um, And one of the things they say is, you got her too high. Now, she took four bites of a thing that definitely had, like, 40 bites to it. Yeah. So if she had eaten what they wanted her to eat, she would have been dead. Right. Like This leads to this, that whole dream scene where she's yeah. up at the top of the Sistine Chapel, which is also evocative mm-hmm. because it's like, no, you're, you're kind of going in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, is not mm-hmm. going to be a good thing. And then she is raped by a devil that we don't see very clearly. Yeah, but it's like it, in, the go, in the goat form. It's right. that... It's yeah. It's iteration of Satan. It's really to me that scene was really frightening from the first time I saw it. Yeah. She even now it's I don't know what about it. I mean, obviously you're watching someone being assaulted. Yeah. But on top of that, just you never see quite clearly what it is. Only you you see its eyes a lot. Yeah. And then um, there's the strange moment with the Pope, which is even yeah. so she thinks it's a nightmare, but I think the really uncomfortable moment comes after that. Comes that she says, I I had a dream. I don't know, she doesn't say that I was being raped, but something like that. She says, Yeah, she's oh, raped. She said and she was she... being raped. And he says uh-huh. they're talking the next morning, he's getting ready to go to work or whatever, go to this audition. And he says, like, Oh yeah. We had plans, so I went ahead and right. had sex with you. And she's like, well, I was unconscious. And he's like, well, yeah, I was all turned on. And so I just, and right. I'm just like, oh, my so God. That gives the. It's that, so upsetting. Right. That gives a lot of um, strength to the idea that this is a very anti-patriarchal movie. Yeah. That it's, well, because you know, at this time, right too, to except at this time, right. legally, in all 50 states, that was not a crime. But I like the, the idea that this is, like, she holds it again, like, no, you didn't have the right to do that. Yeah. And she makes it a point to her, where we're going to have to discuss this before we get back to normal again. Right. And before I let you touch me again. Right. She's she's going, this this is not the, what I wanted, because she wakes up with scratches on her. And when we see Satan's hands on her body, they have long fingernails, so we're guessing yeah. what that was from. Yeah, she got yeah, the scratches. So and she's, she wakes up nude, mm-hmm. which she was yeah. not the last time we saw her. It, that scene also plays really effectively because Minnie Castavet up until this point has just been a nuisance, you know, but yeah. here she's just, she's a monster because she's, you know, not only allowing this, but she's encouraging this to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Because she's the one who tells, uh, the, you know, no, don't worry about it. You know, it's just she'll she'll sleep through the whole thing. Yeah. And we also, like, that same day, mm-hmm. uh, a guy had been cast as, like, second lead or something in this play that they're doing. And and they find out that the the, the lead, which is what he was going for and what he wants, is uh, struck with temporary blindness. Like... Right. I, I don't think we're given anything other than that. 
Like, it's because the devil, because he gave his wife and now he gets to be successful. Yay. Uh, and I don't know if it's before or after the pregnancy, probably before um, Mrs. Castavet, Minnie, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, gave her the necklace, same necklace right. that Terry had been wearing, which she doesn't want to wear, but Guy is like, well, it was a gift, you have to wear it, right. which is wild. I'm just like, well, that's not how anything works. You have to wear it a few times around the person that gave it to you. You don't have to wear it all the time. What? Well, what guy is and doing... it smells bad. It's yeah. got some kind of... Tannis root is what they Tannis root is what they tell her, but... <laughs> what I like about... Because I have my own reading for the film, right? Which is that... Cause, and what's interesting is that even Polanski will go so far as saying the film is deliberately ambiguous. He says, since we're taking it all from her point of view, it could have happened, it could have not been happened. This right. could be a woman speaking from postpartum depression. Right, for sure. It could, you know, there's all sorts yeah. of things about what is going on in the movie. But to me, it seems like here's a modern person with very modern attitudes. She's not a, a, a shrinking violet necessarily. Very early in the film, when right. they first move into the apartment, there's no furniture. She just suddenly spontaneously tells her husband, let's make love. And they take off all their clothes yeah. and have sex out on the floor. So she's not sort yeah, of she's, virginal he, victim right. no. at all. Also, the, there's an interesting sort of dynamic where all these older people are forcing their will on her. Like there's an establishment that's forcing her to do this. She, at one point, she doesn't want any of her of her new friends, the cast of Eps and their group of friends along. She hears them chanting next door all the time. Guy keeps telling her there's nothing to worry about. Yeah. Um, and there's all these sort of older, creepy people. That's the only way to yeah. put it. Yeah. And this isn't an age discrimination because that segment of the film isn't discriminating against older people because they have a really good friend. Hutch. Yes, Hutch. So, and we don't know what the history of that Mm -hmm. story is, but definitely more Rosemary's friend than Guy's friend. Right. But both of their friends, and maybe like her father's partner or something like that. He is definitely older. Um, We don't get any sense that there's any weird impropriety there, like, like he was a professor or something like that. But they've been friends for a long time. And uh, is it the first time we see them or see him? Is pretty early in the movie. She's not pregnant yet. Mm-hmm. And then the second time we see him, it might be the first time we see her after her pregnancy and that, like, she finds out that she's pregnant, um, which she goes to a doctor, Dr. Hill, and he confirms it. Dr. Hill is Charles Grodin. It's his very first movie. He's very young. Uh, not Is it his first? I think it I might be his first, first movie. movie. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then we see her, and she is... Skeletal. Right. She is so gaunt. She is sick. She's got a pain in her stomach that will not go away. Uh, she is taken on by a doctor who is well respected in the community and is recommended by, of course, the Cassavettes. It's Ralph Bellamy, who was a comic actor throughout oh, his Oh, really? He's the, the, one of the old guys in Trading Places. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's he's one of the that movie I still haven't seen, but it's fine. he's the 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 uh, millionaire who uh, winds up 
working together with Richard Gere to build something at the end of Pretty Woman. Oh, okay. Pretty Woman, rather. Um, he's that guy. He's always the older, honest, decent guy. Yeah, not here. <laughs> he's just a Dr. Saperstein, who just keeps telling her it's not that bad right. and it'll go away. And this, again, lends strength to that whole sort of feminist reading of the film, because here's the older, established doctor who's telling her, don't listen to anybody else. And won't give her any right. pills, like any of the vitamins that Dr. Yeah. Hill had prescribed, you know, um, prenatal vitamins. And says, uh, and she says, well, Mrs. Cassavette has been giving me these, like, they're like protein shakes, mm-hmm. I guess, or whatever. And he's like, yeah, just keep taking those. And so every day, she, this woman comes over with a glass of muck <laughs> and a piece of cake. Uh, and we see her drinking it, like, repeatedly. Right. But she's, like, looking... Incredible. Right. And so we meet. Well, I think. And Hutch comes over and is like, right. What is happening right now? Yeah. And Guy comes over in the middle or towards the end of that uh, visit and it like hustles him out. And he's just like, This is an okay. Also snatches something of Hutch's. Oh, that's right. Because he wants to use it for a ceremony because they want to put the whammy on him too. That's right. That's but, right. Because we find out that later that. Um, he had taken the actor, the lead actor, who has been struck blind. Who's his played tie on screen, off screen, uh, on, yeah, off screen by Tony Curtis. That's right. He, we only hear him. We hear his voice in one phone call, right. and I was like, and you're like, is that Tony Curtis? <laughs> it's really distinctive. I'm like, oh wait, wait. Like no, both can... of us just were like, that's uh, that's a voice that we know. It's yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the, there's a scene too that I appreciate that again shows Mary's uh, Mary's um, Rosemary's initiative, where she uh, she insists that she's tired of having all these creepy old people around forcing yeah. things on her, and she's going to have a party and no one yeah. under fifty. Can come. Yeah, that's right. It's going to just be her friends that she hasn't seen right. since they moved in, uh, because abusers separate and you from your family and exactly, your community. And I think that scene plays really mean with Cassavetes. He comes across as just, I don't know if I could have bought it better from someone like Redford. Redford yeah. But he has this line, it's like, these bitches are getting to you. They're bitches. They're yeah. all bitches. I'm like, yeah. what the hell? It's, it's wild. <laughs> he just and, and, blows up. Uh, she has to tell Minnie that she can't do something because she's having a party. And mm-hmm. Minnie's like, oh, well, I'll help you serve. Da, 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 da. And she's like, no, no, no. You've done too much. You're not. Right. And finally just has to say, you're not invited. I do not want you to come. Like, and I'm just like, um, it, does she mean to be this? I mean, she wants to be there to watch her, obviously, to make sure right. that she's not stepping out of line or doing anything dangerous for the fetus that is inside of her that is the devil's baby and that she needs to get and make sure it gets to, um, you know, term. But also, like, just as a person, mm-hmm. if she wasn't a witch that believed in the devil and was doing all this heinous shit, would she just feel like it was okay to talk to people and act like this? It's very strange. Because I'm sure there are, I mean, I know for a fact there mm-hmm. are people like that. And I'm just like, how does it work in your brain? Um, it's literally the opposite of me. We have customers like that at the place where we work. I had to deal with one today. <sighs> That's why I stayed outstairs. Remarkably pushy person who just needed to get what they wanted to get 
at all costs. <laughs> and I'm still, I don't, I don't know. I'm I, not that person. I've I don't never been it. that forward ever to mm-hmm. where I feel like, you know, everyone else's needs are less than mine. And I'm going to put myself at the center of attention all the time. Yeah. Um, and at that point, you know, during the party, three of her mm. friends get her in the kitchen and she's like, I've been in pain for this whole time. I can't eat. I can't. They're like, you look like hell. Right. Like, we love you. What is happening? And she, and they're like, you know, they've had kids. They're like, this isn't normal. You have to get a second opinion. You have to go to somebody other than this doctor because he's not listening to you. And you clearly are not well. Right. This is clearly not right. And... And they they hold off the guy out of the kitchen. Which I like, think was, that was really well good. I was just like, that's friends. <laughs> we like them. Um, and and she does. She's like, I'm going to get a second opinion. I'm going back to Dr. Hill. Just, I'm not switching. I'm not stopping with Dr. Mm-hmm. Saperstein. I just need to go get yeah, a second opinion. Because I can't take it anymore. element that was brought to my attention by one of the materials I read today, which is, um, is that her... The persistence of the Catholicism inside of her mm-hmm. is her first thing out of her mouth is I'm not getting an abortion. Oh, that's yes, when they're all Which sitting in the kitchen. Yeah. And and I'm like, I didn't there there were so many things. This film is so well crafted. Yeah. With so many little interlocking details mm-hmm. that I didn't even really see that in the big scope of things. But if you start picking out the details of yeah. like her traditional upbringing and all oh, no, that's a very strong element of what makes her character. Right. She's afraid that she's going to have to get rid of the baby, and whether or not she's modern, she's still not going to abort this baby. Right. Even though this is a really great example of what you and, should and abort. Her, and his friends are like, nobody is saying right. that. But you got to go to, like, if, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. If it's if something bad is happening, right. it's a possibility both of you die. Like, yeah. you, like, not doing anything is not helping anything. And Dr. Saperstein seems to dis- just has, so dismissive. So he has such an exalted reputation that no one wants to question what he's doing, which is killing her because she winds up very pale, very dark. Yeah, she's so dry. She looks mm-hmm. skeletal, literally. They, I, I, The makeup is so good because she right. really, she's so pale. The first time we see her, the makeup's a little heavy. I'm like, you could have eased up on that white powder, just mm-hmm. a skosh. But every other time we see her, it's a very realistic, right. drawn. And it leads you to think. Thing, like, and I literally was just like, is this Roman Polanski making her look like she's in a concentration camp? Because oh, that you know, is what she is looks like, like a little bit. There are, there are, you can look at the things that he does, right? Yeah. Um, and start seeing pieces of his life. Like yeah. I mentioned that in The Pianist, there's a scene with a little boy running through the, the ghetto, yeah. being shot at by soldiers, and it's like, oh, that's oh, That him. happened to him, yeah. And uh, also, there's a very famous story. The film he did after this, I think, was uh, he did an adaptation of Macbeth that was really striking. Mm-hmm. And the, there's the scene where Banquo's been murdered, and you know, Lady Macbeth come into this hall where the, the, he's been murdered in this family. And there's blood all over the walls. And the producer turned to him and said, don't you think it's too much blood? He's like, not compared to my um, not compared to my house last summer. And then walked off without saying anything else. Woof. And he was... <laughs> but but I'm not even going to... I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Um, yeah, so that... Because that was what I... Mm-hmm. That was the image that... Right. W- and it could be, because... Yeah, we've... 
talked about that. He's... Yeah, so as we're screaming, or as they're fighting with each mm-hmm. other, and she's saying, no, I'm going to the doctor, the pain stops. Right. Just suddenly, she's like, it's gone. And I'm like, oh, she means she's been in, she's had a literal the same pain all of the time. Right. I Like, I had it in my head that it, like, came and went, Mm-mm. but when she's like, it stopped, I'm like, oh, no. It's been constant. <laughs> it's right. been constant. That's that sucks. Um, and then she feels the baby move, and I was like, seems a little early for that, but okay. Well, considering it's not a normal baby. Fair enough. And then she and Guy are fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's everything's fine. And then we have a time jump. Um, and Rosemary realizes that she hasn't seen Hutch in a while. Um, and she makes a date to go meet him out. Um, well, he wants to meet her. He wants to, yeah, that's yeah. right. He calls her and says, hey, can we have lunch tomorrow? And they're supposed to meet at the Time Life building. Mm-hmm. And we see her going. Uh, you said she looks and she looks in on a, it's a nativity scene. Right, she looks in the window, there's a nativity scene, there's a reflection of her to the left of the Virgin Mary and the baby Jesus, mm-hmm. and then her face to the left of it, which is... That like, left side is the right, 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 yeah. It's so, that whole, that thing, and, and again, at this point, she's still, she is beginning to develop the opinion that these people are witches. I mean, yeah. that's kind of what you're following with her. If you're following it, you don't know the outcome of the story, which unfortunately is, it's so far out that, um, that or it's such a classic now that people Everybody will know. just know, yeah. Right, it's like when we hit Psycho, we're going to have the same problem. Yeah. But... Uh, at this point in the story, she believes that her next door neighbors are witches. They might want to take the baby. No, not yet. Because she has the meeting with Hutch. He doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. And then she finds out from his friend that he's in a coma. Oh, right. Okay. And so... then, he like, shortly after that, although a while passes, and she's like, oh, no, I haven't even checked in on Hutch. And she... I think she calls and gets his friend that says, you know, he died. Um, he never woke up from his coma and he died. Right. And then she goes to the funeral. She's late um, and is given by the by his friend Grace, which is funny, um, <laughs> at this book that he wanted her to have. This is the book that he was trying to give her on their lunch date. Mm-hmm. And it is a book about witches. And that is when she's like... Right, but the reason I brought that up out of sequence, unfortunately, is if you d- right, you're you're looking at the film. She's developing this idea. That one shot with her face to the left of yeah. Mary's tells you exactly what's about to happen yeah. to her. And if you have any, like, if you catch, like, I don't know, first watch, right. I, I, would, did, I didn't catch that the first time, and I did know what was going to happen. Right. But, like, that seemed, it was such a small, tiny scene that just happened, and then she walks away. Yeah. But the entire film is encapsulated. That's exactly yeah. what her fate is right and, there. And as she's, you know, out and being stood up, mm-hmm. who comes in? Minnie. <clears throat> Minnie and wants to just hang out with her, and she's like, I just want to. I love the way that she's blocked, too, because she just rolls into the frame like the tide. Yeah. There's no <laughs> stopping her. Yeah, she's... She will just start, and she'll, she will come at you talking. It's not like she comes up, hits her mark, says her, her lines. No, she just starts from wherever yeah. she is, 
half a mile away? I don't know. And she she's like a siren. And she yeah. grows. It's like the Doppler effect. It's getting closer and closer. And then she's just going on and nagging you and taking you home or taking you to Dr. Castle. Yeah, there's and, no shaking her off. Right. Like, she's... And uh, so once she gets this book, once Rosemary right. gets this book, all them witches, I think. Yeah, all of them witches is what it's called. And the note, the name is an anagram. She... Uh, she flips through, reads a few pages. We see a picture of a dude that very much looks like a younger version of Mr. Cassavet. Mm-hmm. Roman, his name is. Um, she gets down on the floor, pregnant, wild. Uh, like, pr- very pregnant. At this point, she's like seven, eight months pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't look... She's <laughs> Right at the beginning, she's wearing these real loose baby doll dresses. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that dress is four times too big for her, but it works out because then she wears the same dresses all through her pregnancy. And she doesn't, she, I don't know, they don't pat her out very much. Mm. Um, she stops being emaciated looking, but she doesn't ever mm. look heavy at all. And she's in such voluminous clothes that you never just see like a baby bump. Now that might just be the time mm-hmm. when we didn't really talk about a woman's body under any circumstances. Um, and she... Gets on the floor with her Scrabble tiles and works out that Roman Castavet is an anagram for Stephen Mercado, which is the the like main witch in this mm-hmm. book, and the dude that looks like right. Roman. And that or that is the no, the son of him. So that dude's supposed to be a Satanist. This is like his son. And she thinks that this coven wants her baby because she thinks that they need its blood to do whatever it is that they're going to do. And so she runs away. She packs a bag. She gets on her coat. She freaking takes off. She's hiding. She gets into a... Uh, she goes into a... Uh, a phone booth. phone booth. And tries to call Dr. Hill, gets his answering service, waits to get called back tries to like fake talks on the phone as people are coming up to like maybe use the phone more to pay phone to the pain of the ass. Yes, it was. and then that. finally gets a call back also during this scene there's a big dude outside of the right. the uh phone booth for part of it and he turns around and he said it's, it's William Castle, Castle. <laughs> the producer of the movie doing a weird cameo dr hill finally calls her back and it's like okay just come to my office meet me she unloads with their witches and they want <laughs> baby. And he's like, um, you know, Dr. Saperstein's a very, you know, he's he delivered, well, he delivered like two of his kids or something? Something like that, yeah. which is wild. He's, you know, very, very respected in the thing, but, but he's like, okay, well, I'm going to call up for some help. You lie down. And then she does fall asleep and when she wakes up, who's there? Uh, Dr. Saverstein with Dr. Hill and he's like you're clearly unwell they're going to take you home and she's like no but then she does have to go home because she's a lady and ladies don't have rights. He also shoots her up with something like the minute he sees her it's like hello pop and there she goes. Oh that's right Saverstein puts a needle in her Uh, and then she goes into labor Mm -hmm. because she's very pregnant and he put her under and gives birth ostensibly because when she wakes up, the nurse comes and says the baby didn't make it. Stillborn. And so then we see her convalescing, right? And um, we see a 1968 breast pump, which is 
very interesting to me because we're not talking about her pregnant body, but we can talk about this. And the ladies come and take the breast milk. She goes to put like a used spoon in the cup with the milk because she asks you what's going on with it. And they're like, oh, we just pour it down the sink or whatever. We just throw it out. And so she goes to put her spoon in it. And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> and she's like, okay, well, they're taking my baby some or my milk somewhere. And she hears a baby. She hears an infant crying mm-hmm. somewhere. And, and the Cassavettes live adjacent to her. And uh, when they moved in, as they were moving in, hey, this is Chekhov's closet door, <laughs> the, you see that there is a big piece of furniture that has been moved in front of a closet, it's a closet, and they move it back, and it turns out there's a closet in there, and they clean it up, and they're using that closet, and she's like, mm, I'm going to take a look in that closet, she takes everything down, and there's like a door, it's like Narnia, but right. it's worse, yeah. <laughs> and so she she realizes that, and then at the same time, she stops taking, she's been given these pills, and she's taking them every day or twice a day, and they are knocking her out. So she starts not swallowing them and putting them in a little crack next to the bed. Not safe. you got to get rid of those, lady. Uh, and she stops for enough days that she gets it out of her system, and she's, like, coherent again. And then she's she goes in, and she grabs a big knife. Does she grab a knife? She does. She brings mm-hmm. a knife with her, and she goes through the closet door into the Casavette's apartment, where they are having a party. Um, and all of the people are there, including you know, the woman that ke- that she had brought over, that Miss Cassavette had brought over originally that brought out her needlework. Right. She's made different appearances. She's Laura the one Louise. who's, yes, collecting the breast milk and things right. like that. And she goes in, wielding a knife in a nightgown. And it's like, you have my baby, give me my baby. <laughs> and... uh and then she sees the baby, and then she says, what did you do to it? <laughs> right. And we never hear, she's like, what's wrong with its eyes, right? That's mm-hmm. the first thing. And they say, well, it has his dad's eyes. And she's like, guy doesn't have eyes like that. They're like, well, no, the baby's dad is Satan. Like, it's so silly, the way that they thought is the thing. Like, this scene, everybody in it is acting, oh, I mean, Rosemary is in it. Right. Everybody else is acting silly. Like, it's. <laughs> They're like, not just his his eyes, look at his, look at his, his feet. feet, look at his hands. <laughs> like, I don't want to know what that and, is. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm just like, a little baby with goat feet, little yeah, claws right? or something. I don't know. And they're talking about how he's going to grow up and take over the world. And I'm like, not if he has goat hands and feet. <laughs> like, nobody's going to be like, yeah, we're going to listen to this guy. <laughs> Uh, there are enough Catholics in the world who would be like, that's a big no, that's a big no. Um, and this woman, what is her name, Louise? Uh, uh, what's her name? Laura Louise. Laura Louise. Who, she's an interesting character to me because all through the film, she has been just this sort of, she's almost a balance to, to Minnie Castavet. Yeah. In that she's sort of sweet, very inoffensive, and doesn't talk much. And then once this scene takes place. She's just a horrid she's human hard. She's terrible. She's, she's terrible. She's a terrible Karen who wants them to, like, kill Rosemary. Yeah, she's like, get rid of her because she's been given the task of raising this baby, mm-hmm. right? And um, so she's rocking the baby in the, in the uh, you know, right. in the 
the image of that's a pram. It's a rocking pram with a big hood over it. And she's rocking it, rocking it, rocking it. And that's when Stephen King's um, line right. comes and she says, you're rocking him too fast. And they're all like, hey, you are the babe's mama. So if you want to go ahead and uh, mother this child, we would love that. That would make our lives way easier. And it's your natural instinct to want to mother your baby. Um, not smother, <laughs> mother. <laughs> and when she says, you know, you're rocking him too fast, instantly it's like, oh no, she's going to mother this baby. And mm. she does um, go over to the baby, start rocking it. <laughs> Laura, Laura um, I keep forgetting her. It's Laura Louise. It's a hyphenated, weird mm. hyphenated name. Like, gets all mad. Like, no, this is my job. And well, they're she, like, get away from the baby. She hurt. Like, the first thing she does is like, why is she here? You know, and she, uh, Rosemary says, oh, God. She's like, shop with your God or milk or no milk will kill you. Yeah, like, that's right. And shop with your God. Like, There's no God. Yeah, your God is dead or whatever. Like, she's, it's she's, wild. Yeah, but, also but then, film, like, she's the, like, this very sweet woman and suddenly, like, the gloves are off. And, I don't know that sweet was ever how I would describe her. I was like, well, this one is. and especially compared to, like, Minnie, who's running around charging. Yeah, I guess that's right. Into it. Um, but then she, as she's trying to fight off Rosemary, yeah. like, you know, get in Rosemary's way, Roman, the uh -huh. leader of this whole thing and the main, main witch, I guess, um, is like, get out of the way. Right. <laughs> like, just, no, shut up. She's like, no, but this is my job. Get out of the right. way. And then, you know, Rosemary goes over and rocks her baby. End of movie. So you don't like the end of it because... I don't, I don't mind the end of it. I don't need. I'm good with ambiguity. Uh -huh. American audiences, not generally, are not good with ambiguity. If you don't believe me, watch the end of Orphanage, the right. the the, ver the dub version. Um, but I, well, here are my problems with the movie. Anytime you talk, you can, <laughs> you make the word witch. And you associate it with Satanism, it bums me out. Right. <laughs> like, just generally, that's just a bummer, and I don't like it. Um, and I think the, movie, the end is fine. Like, I, it's... I, my problem more is the... Her, her uh -huh. decision is fine, except that it leads... It, it, it gives credence to the sort of little monologue that comes right before that of it's the natural thing that mm -hmm. you want to, you know, mother this baby. And I'm like, not necessary. Like, that's yeah. not, that's not necessarily right. Different readings of that look on her face at the very end of the film where she's looking at the baby. Yeah. And you're thinking, is she accepting the baby? Is she not? I know that Ray Bradbury was very disappointed in the end of the film and he's like and then she you know he wrote his own idea about what should happen for a sequel because William Castle said we might make a sequel to it then changed his mind because there was such a string of horrible incidents that led people to yeah this movie had this. some like, right. the most cursed movie right, of all exactly. time including uh, happening to Castle himself right oh really right you um, know, his wife uh, getting sick he got violently ill he was hallucinating he was being dragged off into a, a hotel uh, excuse me a hospital room, and he's yelling, 
Rosemary, drop a knife, like lines oh, from the film. Oh, God. And so that's also uh, the reason why when Mia Farrow, on the closing of the film, gave him a, a cigar box or human Oh, yeah, that's right. With an embossed 14 karat gold devil's head on it, winking at him. He just put that away inside of a storage locker and yeah, shut the door. Yeah, he's like, I can't. Because he felt that he might have, especially after Roman Polanski lost Sharon Tate, yeah. he felt that all of the horror films he'd done before that, because here's a man who made his whole career doing things like The House on Haunted the Hill and 13 Ghosts and the originals for these, are very kind of silly, fun movies with arch performances and, and the gimmick. Mm-hmm. There was always a gimmick, the fear right. minute, you know. Yeah, um, right. He or, would blow air in your face or whatever. Like. Well, I think my favorite was the Tingler, where he actually mm-hmm. had a, like a electric shock, like a buzzer, pad yeah. right underneath your seat. So no, when the monster you. appears, you you know you get this jolt. Um, but he, uh, so he did a lot of fun stuff like that. And so when he bought this film, he saw the galleys for it, and he just immediately bought the rights to it. But Given his reputation, he was told that if uh, if the film rights are being sold, you can't direct it. Oh, he was a director. Oh, I didn't know that. Movies. I did not know that. And so he felt really bad because he directed all kinds of things before he started his run on horror movies. Mm-hmm. And he really wanted to direct it. He's I wanted to do an A movie with an A cast and you know everything. This was going to be my move to the big time, but. I was only allowed to produce the film. That was the condition in which right. I was allowed to. But get he it. got to be in it. Right. <laughs> Is that why he put himself in it? <laughs> and like Robert a... Evans goes because uh, he appeared in all of his films. Yeah. Okay. Um, He's a real. He was a real showman. Hitchcock. Yes, but he would do things like <laughs> if you see any of his films, they'll still preserve them now. If you're watching now on TCM or whatever. He does an introduction where he's warning you: this is the most frightening film. Oh, you'll right, ever see. right, right, right. Uh, but anyhow. Uh, so when Evans, the producer, says, we're going to, you know, what about Roman Polanski? He says, I met him and I wanted to hate him because he took this chance away from me, but he was obviously so talented yeah. that the two of them worked together. And to this day, Polanski's like, that was the best producer-director relationship I ever had. Oh, wow, interesting. And that spoiled me because he was so much fun to work And he with. was, that was his first American right. experience, film experience. That's interesting. Now, you said Ray Bradbury had written mm-hmm. an ending. He'd written uh, like his own version of an ending, uh, and um, what was it? Well, it was that Rosemary actually grabs the baby, runs down the stairs, gets away from the Satanists. I forget exactly how she does it, and she um, baptizes the baby, and that takes the devilness out of it, and she's able to escape. And then she's on the run from this coven of witches. Wowza! <laughs> it was a whole. Here's thing. where you stay on the run from a coven of witches. Sanctuary, baby. Sanctuary. Right. Go to a nunnery. Well, <laughs> go to a go to because he felt like everything worked up until that last scene, and that sort of was horrifying to him. Um, That's really funny. You know who else wrote their own version of this? Who is Stephen King? That's Nadine Cross all day. Oh, yeah, that's right. And you know what she does? Yeah. She jumps out of a window with that baby, <laughs> which is another thing you could have done. Yeah. Right? Um, I think that uh, I didn't even think about that. Nadine Cross, that's right. Yep, from the stand. If right. if you're <laughs> we, we, if you're not quite following stand. around, Nadine from the stand uh, is impregnated mm-hmm. by the character that, for all intents and purposes, right. in Stephen King universe, is the devil. Right. And uh, she goes mad and she dives out of a window while pregnant still. So she's not holding a baby, right. but she's like holding a baby. You know what I mean? So yeah, and she just. 
we are dead and this is hell and then whoop, out the window. <laughs> yeah, Laura Sanjikova. Yes. Not Amber Heard. And also Amber Heard, but not well, Amber, Amber Heard. Amber Heard just gave so little to that performance. I mean, really. Especially compared to, yeah. like, that's the thing. Compared to Sanji Como's uh, characterization of that character, never. You're never no. going to, and certainly not Amber Heard. Whatever you think about her personally, she's a bad actress. She's right. She kind of lacked the weight that, strangely enough, a woman literally half her size brings to the role. That's right. She's a tiny lady. Uh, yeah, so. Ira Levin even wrote, because Ira Levin, as, as you said earlier, was a Jewish atheist. And I'm not sure exactly what made him explore Catholicism in this film, but or this story, but he did, and he later regretted he felt like this was the beginning for a whole run of of kind of religious themed horror movies like The Omen or The Exorcist. And so he wrote his own version of this, which in which Rosemary wakes up and it's all a dream that she's having. <laughs> That's not Alice in Wonderland. This that's not necessary. That was, but it's that's just awful. There was even a TV film, especially because in the movie, mm -hmm. in the story, she has a dream right. that she wakes up from, right? And it turns out it was true. Yes. So you can't then incept her dream. Doubling down on the game. <laughs> <Right. laughs> that's not. It's yeah. It was just. It was really disappointing. It was really lambasted by critics, going, "How could you follow that great?" thriller with this crap um and i there was a at the time well shortly after that film there was a sequel that was a made for tv movie uh that also has a happier ending but um patty duke aston played rosemary and she was one of the actresses who was considered the first time around right uh but but yeah i i, <laughs> I think It's a very strange, but really remarkably put together movie. Yeah, it is. It is the definition of slow burn. Like mm -hmm. this, in terms of thrills, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say thrill is not the word that I would assign to this. Because there's no, I guess that party and the words that are said are mm -hmm. the sort of apex of the like the crescendo of mm -hmm. the of the tension that has been rocketing up, but really there isn't that. Right. Really, it's like you you're rocketing up, and then it's like going up the long thing of a you know the tick 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 part of a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You get to the top, and then you just stop and you get off the roller coaster while you're up there. <laughs> There's no coming back down I'm or not having. Sure. Again, this would be a different kind of thrill. I think that the most sus uh, suspense certainly. This is a very suspenseful movie, uh, both in, I mean, for the original audiences. Sure. The problem, of course, now is right. the... Is We've the... seen this, and I've seen The Astronaut's Wife, and I've seen a dozen other films that, major films, that just take scenes out of this movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, for good reason. I mean, they're good right. scenes. Take them. But I mean... it's one of those things where you know, the lack of creativity kind of astounds me. But... Um, but I don't know. Uh, there was a remake not too long ago, Zoe Saldana. Yeah, 2014. Uh, it was a television takes show. takes place in, in Paris, if I remember correctly. And it just seemed to be 
unnecessary. Right. Like, why are we moving this to Paris? Why does it, you know, it messes with the feel of the story and the idea of all these sort of New York characters who are constantly interrupting your desire to live a life and not mm-hmm. be bothered. Here's my problem. Oh, they had to do it somewhere other than New York because nobody's, nobody, no aspiring actress and his um, unemployed wife can mm. afford an apartment in that idea. So we had to put it somewhere else. Yeah, Paris is expensive, but woof. Um, so that's Rosemary's Baby. Yes. You think it was thrilling? I think it was a masterpiece. I don't know if thrills are Once what again, for. this is still another thing where we're like, hey, if I. What do you mean, though? I think that it is like, I think I'm, in terms of things like, uh, I would put on a list with The Shining and Don't Look Now as movies that are supremely disquieting. Yeah. Yes. They just, you're uncomfortable the entire time watching this movie. And it's also like, it's two hours and 10 minutes long and mm. it, and it is slow but it doesn't feel no, long. Because it's not like, yeah, can we, what's Something's can... always going on, something's happening, and again, you're visually kind of, there's a lot to look at yeah. in the composition. Even if it's mostly Rosemary's <laughs> apartment, which is mostly what you see. Yeah, it's it's one of the most uncomfortable movies, and maybe it's also a person with my religious Fair enough, yeah. That's... Also has that kind of like, oh, God. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, um, yeah, literally. <laughs> but it's... On top of that, I just think it really, really, really works as a film. Yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, So that is Rosemary's Baby. And next week, we're going to go ahead and turn 90 degrees to the left. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be watching The French Connection. Okay. Who's in the movie? It is um, Gene Hackman. That's what I thought. I've never seen this movie. This is the last movie on the list that I have not seen before. Uh-huh. I don't know anything about it, but you said it was about the police, so I'm less than excited. Well, but we're going to watch it, and we'll talk about it next week. Than you actually see the film. Awesome. Amazing. <laughs> and then is what? there at least a good car chase? Uh, there is a very good car chase. It's Fantastic. very short, but it's a good car chase. Excellent. And then we're going to turn, what, back 180 degrees back to The Exorcist, I guess? No, The Exorcist is number three. Hold okay. On. I was like, oh, God. Hold yes. on. Let's go over the ne- the rest we, we of the... You might need a, a breather from Satan for a while. Yes. No, there's a little bit of a... There's a little bit of a break from Satan. Right. Um, so... Yeah, we're getting now to the to the end time or the end game. So Rosemary's Baby is number nine. Right. Number eight is the French Connection. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Then the birds. The birds, okay. No Satan. Birds. 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 Uh, alien. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the, the, <laughs> the queen might be. I don't know, like cousins <laughs> with the devil. Uh, then the Silence of the Lambs. Once mm-hmm. again, not Satan, but also not not Satan. <laughs> Satan adjacent, <laughs> I think, would be a good term. North by Northwest. We're right. getting very far away from Satan. No sure. Satan involved. <laughs> then the Exorcist, and we're back to Satan. Oops, right. sorry. And then Jaws, who might also be <laughs> Satan. And then Psycho, a little bit of just a skosh <laughs> of Satan, or Satan's mom. Right. Hard to tell. So that's the rest of the movies that we're going to watch for this series. 
some have Satan in them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's what we're going to do starting next week. And uh, But until then, do you have any movies you want to recommend that don't have Satan in them? Or I guess ones that do, because I know that some of your favorite movies do have Satan in them. Um, or like, are Satan adjacent? <laughs> I, I saw... <laughs> um, we saw or finished uh, again something I'd seen before that I have to recommend, which would be the Haunting of Bly Manor. I was going to do it. it. Yes, it is a but Mike I Flanagan. Think, I want you to. No, it's fine. It's a Mike Flanagan joint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of his Netflix miniseries. It's the only one I had not seen, and you were like, "You have to watch it." Here's why I didn't watch it the first time because I had just been in the same year through two bad Turn of right. the Screw. Uh, adaptations and I couldn't do it again so I didn't for years uh, it's so good though and the last episode made me cry a whole bunch because it was so well, I'll say sad something I said at the time I put on Facebook you know, the, the last the last shot almost of the thing is mm-hmm. the most unromantic thing I've ever seen yeah, in my yeah, life yeah. that whole last episode is very is, it's, really it's a love letter to love it yeah. is yeah, it's. It is. Well, there was crying. There was much crying. Nine episodes long. Every episode is good. All right. of the people are good. He uses the same people over. He's like a mammoth. He uses the same people right. over and over again. So we just watched. We just watched the hunting of or the fall of the fall of the house, house of, of Usher. Usher right. This one isn't a haunting. The first two were hauntings <laughs> of uh, the fall of the house of Usher and. Uh, Two of the characters in that movie or that show who played step siblings played um, sort of star-crossed lovers in this one. (laughs) And that's, yeah, it really, this, I think it really captures both Henry James kind of Mm -hmm. stories about longing and a loss and things like that. Yeah. And it also has just like this incredible kind of. yeah, there's these characters are so sad. Yeah, and they're all reaching for something that's just kind of beyond their reach. And you're, what I like about it is that going into it knowing that's going to happen, at the same time you really want someone to succeed. Yeah, you're really yeah you're for these pulling people. for these people. Uh, even yeah, I don't know, all of his thing. I I that's what I'm going to recommend more than mm-hmm. just the Haunting of Bly Manor. Watch Mike Flanagan's yeah. work. Uh, he has not done mm-hmm. a bad thing. He even did uh, uh, our other roommate, uh, Stephanie, occasionally watches these things with us, the movies, rather. Yeah. Uh, she was watching Blind Manor, and she got me to watch Ouija yeah. 2, right? The, yeah. And so there was the first film and the second film. I, I made the mistake of watching the Mike Flanagan film first and going, okay, let me go That's back right. and see he the That's right. He did original. the second one. Right. He didn't do the first one. And the, the first one is so pedestrian, and then and it's serviceable, but... He just took it and went in a different direction yep. and really made you worry about what happens to these people. Yeah. Half of that is casting the right actors. The other half is the writing. He's very His good. His writing is very good. Um, I don't know that he writes everything. Mm-hmm. He writes a lot of stuff. So his first movie is Absentia. We really like that movie. I don't remember very much of it. Mm-hmm. I should watch it again. He made Oculus, which is a movie that we both enjoyed. Right. Didn't get a lot of play. Hush is a movie that he... Wrote and directed, and it was a Netflix movie, and it was so good. 
And as of March of this year, you can't find it anywhere mm, because Netflix ran out its distribution rights mm-hmm. and now it doesn't exist. Um, Nobody else has the rights either. It just doesn't see, exist as a thing to watch. I think it's funny because I hear people say things like that and I go, that's what it was like during the 80s, you know, when, or during the 70s, 80s, when you were trying to, well, I was trying to be a film student. Yeah. And you're going, okay, well, where do I find this movie? You can't find it. Yep. <laughs> it's just not. Uh, yeah, yeah, say goodbye. These are lost. If you yeah. wait, and, and nowadays, it's odd that they've raided the vault somewhere, you know, and they'll yeah. find a, a print somewhere in Japan of, uh, of, of a, a Godzilla movie or well, something. Well, no, no, not oh. just that. Sometimes in Japan, they find a print of the horror of Dracula, the first oh, Christopher okay. Hammer one that Interesting. was complete. Oh, wow. And it's like all the ones that we had previously were edited for television. Right. or edit, you know. And then there's the stuff that you know, like BBC mm-hmm. re-filmed over oh, their tape. God, so irritating. that stuff's never going to be found right. because it was taped over. And one of the things they did live, for instance, was... Oh, I, it's amazing that this was not a part of it. Uh, that it was not recorded for posterity. Uh... Moby Dick, a play rehearsed. Oh, interesting. It was oh, that's, directed is that by, like that Chekhov? Right. Um, yeah, Uncle Vanya that I it saw. It was directed by Orson Welles. Okay. With Orson Welles as Ahab, and it starred Gordon Jackson and um, Patrick McGowan and Christopher Lee. Oh, no, it's all your favorites, right? though. Oh, I think these amazing actors in this performance, and it was done on a bare stage with a set of chairs. And... It, yeah, like, what the hell? And lost. No one. You know, there's no copies of it anywhere. Right. Um, and then he also made, as you say, the second mm-hmm. or the second uh, Ouija movie, a movie called Before I Wake, which is the only thing in his filmography that I hadn't seen. I watched mm-hmm. it. I think last week, the week before. Uh, it's quite good. Mm-hmm. It is not a horror. It is a it is a psychological drama, I would say. A little bit of suspense, but not. Mm. it's not a horror. And then Gerald's Game, a m- movie for Netflix with Carla Cugino, who's, also who's in, in a bunch of his other things. Mm. He's also, she's, who's right. also in The Fall of the House of Usher. And uh, that is a movie that I believe, or that is a story, a book, that I believe to be unfilmable, and most people believe to be unfilmable because the entirety of the movie is a woman handcuffed to a bed right. next to her dead husband. <laughs> we were watching the fall of the House of Usher. This is a spoiler a little bit. Mm-hmm. I looked over and I said, this is retaliation for Gerald's game. <laughs> because of who stars in the fall of the, or in the fall of the House of Usher. Uh, Honey Hill House, we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Doctor Sleep is my favorite right. Stephen King adaptation. Bly Manor, Midnight Mass. He did a show called The Midnight Club, which I think we also mm-hmm. um, recommended on here. It's like a teen version of the these uh, miniseries that he does. Uh, and then The Fall of the House of Usher. And now he has done, at Netflix, his, um, his deal... Is at, is done, and now he, I believe he is working with Amazon Studios mm-hmm. to do. And well, currently he is doing. Uh, he's in pre in production with a Stephen King adaptation called "The Life of Chuck" from mm-hmm. a fairly recent story uh, or short story compilation, which I don't think I've actually read the story. And then 
he is set to do a series based on the Dark Tower. Mm. And he, or adapting the Dark Tower, the series, the whole of the series, which would have to be six to seven seasons. Like, it has to be that long and maybe longer because some of those books are, I don't know if you know this about Stephen King, real fucking long. Mm. So, um, and he tends to... Paul, Paul F. Tompkins said this about Mike Flanagan, and it's 100% true. Especially these series, everyone's hot, everyone's haunted, and everyone gets a monologue. And it is 100% true of these series. Like, it'll happen, it'll yeah. be happening. I'll be like, they're hot, haunted, and giving a monologue. <laughs> uh, and then they'll probably die. But, like, that's what happens. Everyone gets a moment. And that's what yeah. I appreciate, and I understand that why he gets these large casts of yeah. actors who want to work with him. Yep. Um, I was amazed by, and I've said it was half the writing, half the uh, the cast, but I have to say also, especially with Dr. Sleep, yeah, that he visually created some of the more beautiful images, and it's what I wanted Inception to look like. Right. If we're going to write about dreams yeah, and dream let's communication... Do it. Yeah, go all the way. Yeah, don't don't stop it. You know, and th- these kind of bendy, twisty things. <laughs> like, no, no, no. There's so much more you could do with that. Yeah, and he, um, yeah, I'm seeing he had an overall deal, exclusive mm-hmm. overall deal with Netflix from uh, 2018 to 2022, and now he has that with Amazon Studios. So, uh, for television projects, mm-hmm. uh, not for. Um, cinematic uh, projects. And uh, he works with his wife, Katie Siegel. She's in a lot of his stuff. I think she also writes with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he seems like a really good guy. But he's a middle-aged white man. So anything could happen. But I, I really hope that he's not a in monster. It seems like he isn't, not just because I like his work. Like, mm-hmm. that's not what I... But he has very diverse casts both in race, ability, and uh, sexuality Mm -hmm. in all of his stuff. Uh, And the same people keep coming and working for him, which makes me think that he is good to work with. I got really sad at finding out about Joss Whedon because really he was such an interesting guy for Mm -hmm. the longest time and then apparently became... He was a monster on set. Well, he bought his... He bought his hype. He really believed he was Joss Whedon. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, yeah, so I'm hoping, knock on wood, that we don't get that from, because there are good. Here's the best people. Mike Flanagan fact you could ever know. What? He was born in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> because of course he was. That's mm. the best. Oh, he's only two years older than me. Yeah, so he's very good. Uh, I like all of his stuff, and if you haven't seen his stuff, I recommend seeing his stuff, because it is, I feel like it's broadly, it appe- the, the right. appeal is also very broad. Like, you could find something in his, as long as you like a little bit dark. <laughs> like, all of his stuff is a little bit dark. He's mm-hmm. never made anything that's like Sunshine's Puppies and Roses. Right. But they also have... Strong, very strong, believable characters, and you really care about right. the stories. We're not, we're not going to see uh, uh, his version of Anne of Green Gables. No. Oh, oh, wow. Green Gables. It would be so upsetting. <laughs> Green Gables <laughs> so can be upsetting. upsetting. 
His would be so upsetting. He would lean into it, but uh, it's it's there. It can be. I can. I could read that into the material. Yeah, and he's also just very good at adapting things right. in a way that is interesting and fresh, and also extraordinarily true. Mm-hmm. So you had some problems with some of the language in the Fall of the House of Usher at the beginning, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but every one of those episodes is an homage to a different post right. story with the overall um, sort of arc of the fall of the House of Usher, which right. is kind of masterful to do, right? Yeah. And the and the Doctor Sleep, the pulling together of the movie and the film. book, yeah. Or, yeah, the the film and the book, which were diametrically opposed. And weaving them together into a thing that makes sense yeah. and is believable. Yeah, he's he's good. And if he can do The Dark Tower, he will do it justice. He's like a Stephen King guy. Mm. Like, you can see that even in the stuff that isn't adaptations right. of Stephen King. But he's also done more than one adaptation of Stephen King. So, um, so yeah, that's... That's my recommendation. Do you have a different recommendation? Or are we just going to be a love fest for Mike Flanagan? Okay, so next week, The French Connection, I guess. We're going to have to talk about some cops. My favorite. Uh, until then, you can uh, reach us if you have questions or comments, concerns, uh, uh, corrections. We'll take those. Uh, opinions of Mike Flanagan. You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Until next week, I want to remind you and kind of demand of you that you take your medicine. And we want to remind you, better late late than than never. never.